Welcome to our Transgender School podcast. We're here to talk about diverse transgender identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. We'll also discuss current events, welcome guests, and share actions you can take to support trans people. I'm Bridget, and my daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman about four years ago when she was 19 years old. I was totally unprepared, but I have learned a lot since then. And now Jackie and I are passionate about sharing what we've learned. When I came to terms with being trans, I realized that I absolutely needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now that a few years have passed, things have gotten somewhat easier, and I want to help other trans people navigate their own unique experiences. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Transgender School podcast. This is episode 25. I am going to turn it over to Jackie to introduce the topic, and I'll be chiming in later with questions and comments. Thanks for tuning into this episode, everyone. We are going to be discussing some heavier topics than usual. In particular, we will be discussing particular acts of violence today, and we will also be quoting some anti LGBTQ hate. So, just want to include that disclaimer right at the top before we get into it. This will likely not be news to many or all of you who are listening, but just before midnight on Saturday, November 26th, a man entered Club Q, one of the only queer bars in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and he began shooting into the crowd. The 22-year-old shooter who was able to acquire an AR-15 style rifle and handgun despite having previously been arrested for threatening to kill his mother with a bomb killed Daniel Aston, Kelly Loving, Ashley Paw, Derek Rump, and Raymond Green Vance. He injured another 25 people, some of whom are still in the hospital, and he likely would have killed many more if not for Richard Fierro, an Army veteran who went to Club Q with his family to celebrate a friend's birthday and watch the drag show, which included a performance by his 22-year-old daughter's best friend. Fierro, unarmed, quickly decided to confront the shooter, who wore body armor and carried two firearms. Fierro took the shooter to the ground, ending the threat with the assistance of a trans woman who used her heel to stomp the shooter into submission. Needless to say, there's a lot to discuss here. This was a completely senseless killing. There is no meaning. There is no hope to be found in this violence. It is tragic. It is unnecessary. And it is entirely preventable. Of course, we have to ask ourselves the same question that we do in so many of these situations. How did the shooter get these guns, especially in a case where he had such uh, an egregious previous arrest for, for such a violent threat? Quoting from a CNN article, he was arrested in connection to a bomb threat, but that would not have shown up in background checks, according to the law enforcement sources who said records indicate he purchased the weapons because the case he was charged in for the bomb threat was never adjudicated. The charges were dropped and the records were sealed. It's unclear exactly what prompted the sealing of those records, but it's not hard to read between the lines here. The kid threatened his own mom. And it's hard enough to call 911 on your own child, let alone follow through with pressing charges against them. She also posted on a local Facebook group shortly after her son's arrest, asking if anyone in the area knew of a good defense attorney, clarifying up front that they had cash. Now, it's worth mentioning here that the 
Shooter's grandfather is actually a soon-to-be um, retired California state legislator who was unseated in the recent election by another Republican and has made comments supporting the violence of January 6th. Um, so it's th- th- there are no definitive connections um, between him and this violence, obviously, but I, th- I think it would be hard to say that there is not some ideological connection there and that this shooter did not have a family that was willing to accommodate him, willing to support his ideology and willing to ultimately enable these violent tendencies. It's also important to mention that this shooting occurs as we are seeing a rise in anti-LGBTQ hate across the country. And that is coinciding with another thing we talk about a lot more often on this podcast, which is an increasing tolerance for LGBTQ people in the United States. Harvard researcher Jay Olfelder did an analysis that found the number of anti-LGBTQ demonstrations in the United States has increased exponentially over the past two years, and the Pulse nightclub shooting in 2016 marked the deadliest anti-LGBTQ attack in modern U.S. history. Club Q was hosting a drag show that night on the eve of Transgender Day of Remembrance, when we remember all of the trans people who are killed in gender-based violence. Um, There are 32 trans people who've been killed in the U.S. this year alone as of the recording of this episode, and hundreds more are killed globally every year. And this is directly tied to the rise of increasingly extreme far-right figures who openly promote violence. Conservative talking head Matt Walsh recently held a rally where his fans displayed signs that said, mutilate the mutilators and, quote, doctors who mutilate children should be killed. Tucker Carlson recently concluded a segment about drag story hours by saying his viewers should arm themselves. And Lauren Boebert, who represents Colorado Springs in the House of Representatives and has consistently spewed anti-LGBTQ hate, has tweeted things like, quote, take your children to church, not drag bars. Colorado Springs is another of many former conservative strongholds in the U.S. that are beginning to become more diverse and open-minded. It is also home to Focus on the Family, a fundamentalist Protestant organization that lobbies against LGBT rights, including those related to marriage, adoption, and parenting, labeling our community, quote, a particularly evil lie of Satan. The inevitable result of this sort of rhetoric against a backdrop of a changing country, one that is becoming more accepting of queer people, is that the people who believe these things will feel increasingly marginalized and they will increasingly resort to violence. And the politicians and the talking heads who spew this rhetoric have the blood of our community on their hands. There is no question about it. This is also part of a wave of domestic terrorism in the United States that burst into public consciousness with the attack in Charlottesville in 2017, though it had been building for some time before that with Ruby Ridge, Waco, the Oklahoma City bombing, the Charleston church shooting, and the 2016 Minneapolis shooting. This violence is part of the same trend that nearly led to the end of the peaceful transfer of power in the United States on January 6th. And it is hard to combat the radicalization machine entities like Fox, One America, and an entire network of right-wing media organizations have built. Because once you slip into that ideology, anyone who tries to change your mind is evil. So 
that's basically all I have to say about what happened. I wish I could say that there was a clear path out of this sort of violence. I wish I could say that I didn't think that there was going to be more violence like this. I even wish that I could give in to the simplistic idea that maybe queer people should just start arming ourselves. But I, I think we see from this shooting that it is the unarmed members of our community. It is those who are brave enough and willing enough to put their lives in line to prevent other community members from dying who will protect us. It won't be the police. It won't be our government. It will be us. And that I think is the one shred of hope that we have here is that we will stand up for each other, even if no one else will. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. You really researched this thoroughly, I know, and there are a lot more instances than what you shared, but you gave a good summary of some of the, you know, the key situations here. Is there anything we can do? There is. This is a hard case because there's sometimes there will be a shooting where if you make some minor tweak to the law, you could prevent it. And I think in in a sense that that would be the case here. I mean, if we if we lived in a society that did not have a radical Supreme Court that had a, a very radical interpretation of the Second Amendment, we could probably pass a law that says if you've been arrested for some sort of violent crime, you're at least going to have a waiting period. There's, I mean, I mean, Colorado has a red flag law, but it's about being convicted of a crime or, or charged with a crime. The prosecutor's office in this case did not actually move forward with charges. The case was dropped. And again, I will refrain from speculating as to um, whether those charges would have been dropped if someone whose grandfather was not an elected official had made similar mm. threats. But I think the reality is, is that within the legal framework that we have to work within in the United States, it is hard to find something that we could do that pr- would prevent someone like this from getting a gun. I don't think he should have been allowed to purchase a gun. And I imagine there are a lot of reasonable people who don't believe that someone who's been arrested for making a bomb threat should have to, should be allowed to purchase a gun. But unfortunately, that's not really on the table politically because of people like Lauren Boebert and Tucker Carlson and all of these right wing talking heads who frankly want to keep their base scared and want to keep them scared of us. And, and so this is about the children. It's always about the children and we're trying to corrupt the children in their minds and guns are essential to defending themselves from that as far as they see it. And incidents like this, they'll brush them off as someone who was mentally ill, even when it's clear that this was someone who was motivated by their talking points, by their rhetoric, and they don't really care. I think I won't speculate on the degree to which people like Tucker Carlson or Lauren Boebert personally care whether queer people die because of their rhetoric. Maybe they are glad, maybe they don't really care, but those are two pretty terrible options. And the fact that that's the range of reactions that people who are in positions of power and positions of influence in the United States are going to have to this sort of violence. I mean, it's it's like when you saw Trump react to Charlottesville, there's a level of coldness and just a lack of humanity when we see the right wing react to these sort of shootings and when we see them double down. And of course, that largely goes back to Wayne LaPierre and his decision through the NRA to double down on opposing gun control following following the shooting. And I believe it was in Colorado, it was the school shooting. I'm 
blanking on the name, but that was, I think, the origin of a lot of this sort of, we're going to double down. We're not going to apologize. We're not going to admit responsibility. And, and it's hard to come back from that in a lot of ways, but we we have to fight it. And I think we have to try to get people like Lauren Boebert out of office. And I think that that'll be, that'll be a big first step when we can get some of those people out of office, when we can get a more rational Supreme Court. And that's going to take a lot of organizing. That's going to take a lot of voting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I'm wondering, like, there's so many, it seems like so many issues combined to create the, you know, perfect storm for all of this, right? It's the ideology and what these talking heads are sharing. It's the gun control issues. It's the, you know, the brainwashing and the, and the, you know, this line about hurting kids and really, so let me separate out a couple things. I mean, when I look at, let's start where it starts, right? Is what I see as brainwashing and trying to get people to believe things that there's absolutely zero evidence for that anybody's hurting kids. It's Columbine is the school I was trying to think of. Um, the, yes. the name, yes. the name escaped me, but I, I've been some really great reporting on the NRA's decision to, uh, still hold a convention, uh, following Columbine. And I think that that, Mm-hmm. Is the origin of a lot of the strategy that you see today. And I would just, I would push back a little bit on the idea that they're brain, I think they are brainwashing. I mean, I think controlling people in a lot of ways, but to brainwash, I think, I don't know that I don't have the definition offhand, but I think there's an implication of convincing someone of something that they didn't necessarily believe before. I think what mm-hmm. these conservative talking heads do, which is so effective, we've talked about these people who, they might have some pre-existing inclination to not believe trans people. They might have some, you know, inherent bias against queer people or gay people, but they haven't really been radicalized. They haven't really thought it through. And honestly, if we get to them first and we educate them about the science and about how much of a difference it makes in queer people's lives to be supportive, a lot of them will be supportive, but they have these underlying beliefs and what conservative politicians and talking heads do is they capitalize on those underlying beliefs instead of saying what we say, which is, Hey, let's challenge that underlying belief. Let's, is there evidence for that? Let's talk about the impact that, that believing that and reflect and saying those things to a trans person or a queer person has instead, the conservatives say, you're right. The people who tell you to challenge that are wrong and they're trying to brainwash you. And so in a way it's easier to believe if we're trying to counter an inherently held view that someone doesn't have any rational basis for, but they believe it. We're going to be the ones who seem like we're trying to brainwash them. And if the conservatives are the one who, ones who are saying, Hey, we know you're a little bit transphobic. We know you're a little bit homophobic. That's okay. You're right. These people's lives don't really matter that they don't really deserve rights. And not only that, but they're coming after your kids and they're trying to turn your kids gay. And then you take what was, a really, you know, in, in a lot of cases, sometimes relatively benign or not as bad as it could be belief. And you turn it into something that is so dangerous because it becomes a thing that you have to take action based on. It's not, it's no longer just a belief you hold. It's no longer just, ah, I don't really agree with those gay people. I don't really agree with what they're doing. It becomes, oh, they're coming after my kids. I need to get them. I think that is where the rhetoric has gone that, that has 
become it has become even more scary and and I think if you look at some of the data we referenced about the number of anti lgbtq protests and events in the united states you you see that there are there's a growing number of people who don't just believe that we're wrong and don't just believe that we shouldn't be allowed to live openly but believe that us doing so is a threat to them and when they contrast that with again the fact that for every person Tucker Carlson gets, we're getting one and a half people or two people. Like when you contrast that with the fact that they're losing and they know they're losing, they get really mad and they resort to violence. And that's a really tough cycle to try to break. So you are saying though, that you say we're gaining more people than they are. Right. And when all we mean, I assume is that we're all, when we say gaining people on our side, it's just people who are loving, accepting, open-minded, not trying to take away anybody else's rights, supporting LGBTQ people. Right. That's all we're saying. We're not in a war. We're on defense, right? They're on offense. Their side I mean, you described beautifully what their site is doing, but here's what I'm wondering. Like, I don't know if you can speak to this, Jackie, but how does it go from someone who holds this ideology and has this fear to someone who actually gets a gun and walks in to kill people? Like, that is what most of us are incapable of understanding in any way, shape, or form, and it keeps happening. So how can we understand better so that we can then figure out how to prevent. What do you think? I will say you don't you don't ever have to go on the offense to find yourself in a war and I think that when the other side is on the offense enough you will eventually find yourself in something that resembles a war and I I wish that we we're not getting to that point, but that seems to be what the other side wants. We are in a war. I guess what I mean to say is we're not on the offense. We're not initiating. We're not trying to hurt or harm anyone or take away anybody's rights or get into conflict about anything. We are responding to their attacks. That's all I mean to say. To answer your question, I, I think that this is where it gets back to the idea about why can't we just have some more common sense laws? Like, it would be one thing to say that we want to root, and we do, it would be one thing to say that we're going to have the goal of rooting out this hate in the mind of every person in America. And I mean, you can achieve that in a big way, but you can't achieve that in the mind of every single person. And so I think that the logical place to focus, if the goal is to save lives in the short term, and the goal is to prevent these sorts of shootings, is to try to further restrict access to guns for people who shouldn't have guns. And I mean, you know, we've talked about the deep connection between reproductive rights and trans rights. And I, and I think that this shooting and these acts of violence and this violent rhetoric highlight just how deep the relationship also is between trans and LGBTQ rights and the Second Amendment. And not just the Second Amendment, which says one thing, but the Supreme Court's interpretation of the Second Amendment, which has become a whole other thing entirely and flies in the face of a lot of judicial precedents throughout a lot of American history. And so I think that there, it's hard to think of one area where we could make more of a difference policy-wise than just restricting access to guns and having a national registry. And if you have been at any, I'm sorry, I realize that being arrested of something does not mean that you're guilty of it, but maybe, maybe you don't need to have a gun if you've been arrested for some sort of violent crime. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 
gun control. It sounds like from what you're saying, there were red flags with this particular shooter. And it may have been the connections and the family member who was right in someone. There's so many lessons here. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's one of the other lessons. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that there's an easy answer, but I, I, I think that that's something that we see reflected in so many facets of American society, that there is one set of rules for a lot of people. And then there's another set of rules for people Mm -hmm. who have a certain degree of privilege or are connected to the right people. And I, again, you know, I, I won't speculate as to why the prosecutors made the decision that they made in that case. I imagine there will be, there already has been reporting on it. And I imagine there will be a lot more reporting on it in the days and weeks and months to come. But all I will say is that I don't think it's unreasonable to wonder whether those charges would have been dropped had that not been the grandson of an elected official. And I think, again, that raises a larger question about we can prevent a lot of shootings with red flag laws that if you're charged with a crime or if you're prosecuted of a crime. But again, there's going to be some people who will always fall through those cracks. And until we are really willing to confront just how accessible guns are and just how deadly they are, we can make some changes and we can do better. And, and, and I hope that we can do better even in marginal ways, but this is a good example of a case where we would have had to make some, some changes that have gone further than what is currently politically or legally feasible to prevent this person from getting a gun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's shift to look at the experience of the folks who are targeted. And I'm wondering, because it's such a, frustrating and impossible situation to think about when you have so much opposition to gun control and so much rhetoric as you're talking about these talking heads that are supporting this ideology. Let's look at the impact on folks in the LGBTQ community. Like I'm imagining it's transgender day of remembrance. I'm going to a gay bar to be with my community to honor and commemorate this, this um, occasion and to remember the people who've been lost. And how do I, how do I ever feel safe? How do I, if I'm that person, if this is you, how do I go into a gay bar, you know, an LGBTQ bar and feel safe? Like I, I can't even imagine. It's hard. I've heard a lot of other queer people reflecting on this, and I, I forget who said it, but I saw someone on Twitter pointing out that the the point of a gay bar is that we can't necessarily be ourselves out in the world, and that that's a space where, you know, walled off to the world in our own closed off space, where we're not bothering anyone, where we're not coming after anyone's kids, we can be ourselves and we can be ourselves without having all of those attacks lobbed at us. And, and that was proven wrong in this case, in this case for the shooter, the gay bar was not good enough. We, we are not allowed to exist at all, not even out of sight. And so I think that that's a really hard thing to process. And I don't have a a good answer for how you feel safe because I think a lot of queer people don't feel safe right now. And I hope that changes, but it'll take a while. Yeah. So if people listening can just take a moment to imagine, you know, not feeling safe out in the world in general, because simply because of who you are, 
part one aspect of your identity. And now the spaces that have, that have historically been the only safe spaces are no longer safe. I just want people to really think about that. Okay, everybody, we just took a pause because I was feeling sick to my stomach to be really honest with you and ask Jackie, I don't even know where to go with this. It's so upsetting. And Jackie said, I have some thoughts. So ask me again what we can do. So I, I want to come back to Drag Queen Story Hour, which there was an event in the East Bay that not far from where I live that was rated essentially by the Proud Boys. And, and it was an event where a drag queen reads children's books to children. And I thought that was such a beautiful, before any of this happened, I still think this, but before any of this happened, I was just, that made me so happy. The idea of, and this is something we've talked about in recent episodes with the idea of children's books that are, that are about trans experiences. And the idea that kids would get to sit there and see someone in drag reading an entirely appropriate children's book, I should note, not anything that was inappropriate for kids. And the idea that kids could experience that and could realize that, that gender is not this fixed thing that you have, that you're assigned and that you're stuck with forever and could kind of open up their ideas about their gender and their sexual orientation. Like that is so powerful to me because I didn't have anything like that as a kid. It took me a long time to come to terms with who I am and to even figure out who I am and, and to realize what those feelings were. And, and that was, you know, in large part because I did not have access to queer culture. I did not have queer role models. I did not have queer experiences until I moved to San Francisco. And, and I think it's important to come back to the power of those experiences and, and the fact that what is happening with the internet and with kids books about what it is to be trans and with drag queen story hours and not just that, but just all of the information that is out there that no matter what the right wing tries to do, they cannot get off the internet. They cannot get that information out of the public sphere. That information is out there. Kids who want to better understand themselves have access to information that, that I did not have access to and that, trans people who came before me did not have access to. And that is an amazing thing. And it is going to result in a lot more people identifying as trans and queer because they get to know who they are. And that means we're winning. And because we are winning, people hate us and people are going to continue to come after us. They are going to continue to kill us. And I wish I could say that more people were not going to die, but more people are going to die. And I think we just have to remember that this is about saving trans lives. It's about saving queer lives. And every kid that learns that they're trans or queer and gets to be accepted and gets to be who they are is a life that is saved. And, and I won't say there's meaning in the lives that were lost because I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's any meaning in these senseless deaths, but I do think it's important to remember that we are winning and to not lose that momentum and to not let violence like this stop us because that is the goal. The goal is to scare us. The goal is to keep us from even leaving our homes. The goal is to keep us in the closet and we can't let them win. So 
don't let them win. Support queer people, support queer organizations, come out, uh, support the people you know who come out, and just keep doing that. Just keep fighting the fight, and if they want a war, we will win it. Well, I think that's a note of hope to kind of start bringing things to a close. It's a very upsetting episode and time and topic. And I think the thing we can hang on to is what Jackie said. And I I always trust Jackie because she does her research that we're gaining more people on our side every day than they are. And that's what's causing them to really ramp up their efforts and, and activate. And for, you know, people who are going to act out in violence, they're responding to seeing how we are growing in numbers of people who support and understand and want to be educated about LGBTQ people's identities and experiences. So we can hang on to that, if nothing else. The last thing I will say to end on is just to remember that democracy in the United States is a fragile thing and that queer rights and a lot of human rights and a lot of standards of living that, you know, hopefully we don't take for granted, but it's easy to once we have them, those things are all at stake if we do not continue to live in a democratic society. And so there are two years or a little less than two years between when you're listening to this and when we will have to choose as a country between continuing to have a democracy and not. And so anything that you can do in those two years to try to make a difference that, I mean, there's, whether it's volunteering your time, whether it's organizing, donating, just try to pitch in somehow if you have the capacity, if if you have the privilege to do so, because it might be our last shot. I hope it's not. And let's, let's make sure it's not, but we're going to have to treat it as if it might be. Yep. Absolutely. Do everything you can and talk to people, help people understand. I was at, I was getting a service at a salon recently and the young woman who was, was serving, you know, the young woman who was helping me said, I told her, I always tell people, thank you, Jackie. Not everybody has to do this, but Jackie, you know, obviously is very out. So I was telling her about my trans daughter and our podcast and how proud I am. And she said to me, oh, that's so interesting because another one of my clients was telling me all about how, you know, trans people are harming kids and they're turning kids trans and they're make and they're giving them all these drugs when they're 10 years old and, you know, and it's so harmful and they can never go. And I just took a deep breath. I mean, of course, I felt my heart rate start racing. And she saw herself as someone who she's like, oh, I have lots of gay friends and I'm super open-minded. But this client of mine was telling me this. So I, she opened the door and I took the opportunity and I told her everything I know. And she said, wow, you really educated me and I see it differently now. And I realized she's totally wrong and it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, and I, she was saying that this person had told her that like all these kids just think it's fun to say they're trans and they're just doing it because it's like a trend. And I was like, really think about the logic of that. Think about everything that someone has to go to go through to transition socially to, you know, to go on hormone blockers and go see doctors and tell their parents all these difficult things that their parents don't like, it doesn't make any sense. And just having this brief conversation with her, she said that I completely changed her mind. And that now if it comes up in conversation that she's going to start listening to our podcast and start researching. So those are the moments where we can make a difference. And I don't want anybody to think that any moment like that 
isn't important that like, oh, I don't feel like it. It's not going to make a difference. It will. Please do it. Do it for us. Do it for the community. Speak up wherever you can and whenever you can, because I find, you know, it's not just me. People bring up things about these topics all the time without even knowing that I have a trans daughter. So I'm sure it's happening to a lot of us out there. Please speak up. Please take whatever opportunity you can to help someone see the truth, because what we're sharing is simply the truth and their side is spreading lies. They have absolutely no shred of evidence for anything that they're saying. Remember that. Any any final thoughts on that, Jackie? No, I, I think that's perfect. Keep having those conversations to everyone who's listening. Take a moment. Don't yell at the person who repeated the bad thing, but do what my mom did and try to persuade them because that goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And hey, we have a lot more out there that you can share with people. Just we want to remind you that we have a video on Vimeo. The link is always right below wherever you're listening to this or watching. Go to Vimeo and please watch our How to Be an Ally video. It's only $10. We give half of that to our support group to support families of trans kids and those trans kids and and young adults themselves. We have a Patreon membership that's very small and we actively put new content in there that's exclusive just for our members all the time. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this. You know, I know if you're listening to us, you were devastated to hear the news of this tragic shooting. Do something then. We're out here doing stuff here. You know, it's Thanksgiving week for us and we're here. We could be having fun and playing games, but we're here talking to you in two separate rooms in the house because we're trying to do what we can. And maybe I'm pulling a little guilt trip on you, but hey, if it works, I'll take the risk. Share our videos, share our Facebook group, share our Facebook page, share our membership. Get the word out. You could save lives and it's not... In many, many ways, it's these horrific acts of violence. It's the kids who are killing themselves because they don't have supportive communities. It's endless, the tragic consequences that we're seeing out in the world of this, the lies out there, this rhetoric that Jackie's talking about, the misinformation, the manipulation of people who, as Jackie said, already have that seed of hate in their heart and these politicians and these, these people who are just doing it for their own gain because they know they'll win political points are manipulating the people out there who are uneducated to believe things that are absolutely untrue about our loved ones. So please do what you can. We implore you to do more. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month.